Good morning, church. Great to see you. Happy Father's Day to all of you gentlemen. Trust this will be a meaningful uh, day of celebration for you. My name is Greg Paris, and we're thrilled that you're in the room today with us on campus. And if you've joined us online, welcome to you. Happy to have you in worship as well. Today, I want to talk about champion dads. You know, Mother's Day, Mother's Day is different than Father's Day. Mother's Day is, you know, it's, it's warm and wonderful and sweet. And we talk about the loving, nurturing, caring, empathetic profile that most of our mothers uh, express to us. And then it comes to Father's Day and we go, you guys haven't figured it out yet, have you? <laughs> or it's something like, uh, you know, you really need to do better. It's not going that well. You need to step it up. Now, let me just make this promise to you today. This sermon will not be one of those uh, bang you over the head for failure. I want to try to encourage, inspire, and elicit a response and, and, and kind of go man-to-man with a challenge throughout. And I hope that it will be meaningful to you today. I want to be talking about champion dads. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 112. This is a very powerful passage filled with promises to people who are raising kids, and I hope that it will be meaningful to you. Psalm 112, our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so as you're able, thank you for doing that. Here are the first six verses. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed Wealth and riches are in their houses. Their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. So surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. And we God inspire us today through these powerful promises. You may be seated. Thanks so much. I am a father, and so I'm celebrating today. I'm a grandfather. Beth and I have two sons. Uh, both of our children and all of our four grandchildren, and we also have two foster kids currently, are followers of Jesus and very active in their local churches. Happy to say that. Our oldest son, Aaron, actually chairs the board of elders of a very large church on the south side of Indianapolis and has a very meaningful leadership ministry in that context. Our younger son, Isaac, while not currently doing so, has been in full-time vocational ministry in the past and may do so again, and they are doing very well. Again, back to Psalm 112, uh, to, to remind ourselves and refresh the whole idea of what can, you can expect If you fear the Lord and obey his commands as parents, as leaders, what you can expect from their children, and they're described as successful and blessed and wealthy and filled with good deeds, generous, compassionate, and righteous, and long remembered. And so that's an amazing promise. Uh, That'd be nice if those were descriptive terms for all of our parents. I am of an age now when it's easy to reminisce. And when I was a younger person and I heard older persons like I am now say, now back in my day, that would always annoy me. And perhaps it annoys you. But if you'll bear, uh, bear some patience with me, let me just talk a little bit about back in the day. Because there's a point to be made. I remember back in the day, 
that you could go to a public swimming pool and there was a high dive. You don't see those as often anymore. The high dives have been removed from the public pools because somebody could get hurt. We could, we could be turned out in the morning by our mothers in my hometown and not come home until dark. Completely free-ranging back in the day. We rode our bicycles without knee pads, elbow pads, or helmets. In fact, if you went to the bike store and said to them, I need a helmet to protect my child's head so when they wreck their bike, they won't crack their skull, the owners of the bike shop would go, what are you talking about? In my day, there was no such thing as a bike helmet. You couldn't buy one if you wanted one. I mean, you had to wear a football helmet, something like that. That's all you had. They had football helmets. We would take long trips in our parents' automobile, completely across the country, never put on a seatbelt. In fact, my earliest memories, my, my parents' car didn't even have a seatbelt. You could throw 11 little ears in the back of a pickup truck and drive across town to the game. The only instructions you got was, was don't stand up, try not to fall out. It's hilarious. Today we have teachers who won't use red ink to grade a paper because it might damage the psyche of these little children. I don't know about you. My, my teachers loved to use red ink on my papers when I was growing up, push all the way through the paper. They liked it. Today we give all the kids participation trophies or participation ribbons, which inappropriately consoles the losers and de-incentivizes the winners. Participation trophies are the single stupidest idea that I've ever seen in my life. It's, it is dumb. It is dumb on a level that I cannot comprehend. There is nothing good about it whatsoever. I'm of an age when, of course, I don't care what anybody thinks about what I say. And so that explains it if you're worried about me. If you're new, if this is your first time, I'm sorry. <laughs> Today we have young adults who apply for jobs. I mean, these are college graduates and older who apply for jobs and they take their parents with them to the job interview. We have not that, had that happen yet at Union Chapel, but we've already talked about if it does, the, the person, young person applying for the job will talk to their direct report in that interview, and I will take the parents into my office and try to help them figure out what they did wrong as parents. <laughs> we have kids turning 16 years old now with no interest or desire to learn to drive. That's shocking. It's totally unfamiliar to my generation. We couldn't wait till we turned 16 for that privilege. We have young adults now who are too anxious to actually take a phone, mobile phone, and make a phone call to another person and talk to them. Too much anxiety to do that because they just don't know how to carry on that kind of conversation. Anxiety, hopelessness, depression, all-time high levels in our culture among young people. So how do we carefully, lovingly, wisely create the kind of kids Described in Psalm 112, let me go through those words again of description, joyful, obedient to God, successful, blessed, wealthy, good deeds, generous, compassionate, righteous. I thought about this and 
And if we were going to put a, a brief definition on like the goal of parenting in today's culture, we might describe it this way, that we want our kids, we call ourselves successful as parents if our kids are well-rounded, well-educated, and happy. And when you hear that, you go, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Well-rounded, well-educated, and happy. But let me push back on that. Well-rounded kids, for example, do not change the world. In fact, well-rounded people in general do not change the world. People who are really good at and passionate about a few things are the ones who change the world. That's true today. That's always been true. It will be true tomorrow. And so well-rounded, I'm not sure, is the best idea. The second piece is well-educated. You say, well, what's wrong with well-educated? Well, obviously education is a good thing. I have a, have a three-year postgraduate degree myself. But Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and forfeited his own soul? How about, rather than well-educated, we think highly transformed? How about conformed to the image of Christ as a priority for our children? And then what's wrong with happy? I mean, everybody wants to be happy, so we say we want happy kids, happy, happy, happy kids. We don't want to hurt their feelings. And by the way, we have numbers of people in our culture today because of the breakdown of the family unit we have numbers of parents now who feel guilty, they feel ashamed, they feel burdened by the consequences of their choices in life that have negatively impacted their children. And so there's this emotional weight that many parents carry today, and I certainly understand that. But the consequence of that, the instinct, the impulse from that isn't always healthy. And so we don't want to hurt their feelings. We don't want to tell them the truth. We don't want to give them honest feedback. We don't want to ever tell them no. We don't want to discipline them. We don't want anything to happen to them that would make them feel unhappy because we've all, it seems, bowed down to this altar of happiness. Let me just remind you that God never said, I'm happy, so you should be happy. God did say, however, I am holy, therefore you should be holy. So we're not looking necessarily for well-rounded, well-educated Happy kids, we're looking for something else. We're looking again for that Psalm 112 kid, that joyful, obedient to God, successful, blessed, wealthy, good deeds, generous, compassionate, righteous kid. Maybe we could summarize that list by describing it this way. We, we, want, we want kids to be Christ-centered and biblically anchored and world-changing. Christ-centered, biblically anchored, and world-changers. How about kids like that? Now, if you're in a room today and you're currently a parent, what I've just described to you may feel overwhelming. You're just thinking, come on, that's preacher talk. And, you know, it's Father's Day. I thought we were going to talk about, you know, cakes and cards. Uh, this is too much pressure. This is too overwhelming. You know, it's, it's just, it just sounds like a Christian sermon. Because, I mean... I understand life happens. You're just trying to get through the day, right? Pay the bills, make the next appointment. Some of you are thinking right now, listen, listen, bud, I must be a Christian because I didn't kill my children today on the way to church. I wanted to, but I didn't. I must be a Christian person. So, okay, you're doing the best you can. Maybe you're just trying to keep your kids off of drugs or trying to give them some sense of resistance to peer pressure and social media pressure some sense of self-awareness, you figure if you could just give them that, you know, you've succeeded. Let me, if you will, let me come alongside of you today 
let me just stand next to you in your parenting and let me just give you some perspective on what I think will help. The, the overriding thought that I want to give you today is the need to manage exposure. Manage exposure for your kids. Our children are becoming what they're exposed to. Whatever they think about, that's what they become, just like anyone. So if, 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 if they're exposed to lots of sports, then they'll probably be passionate about sports or the arts. They'll be passionate about the arts. That's, you know, that's, it just stands to reason that what kids are exposed to and the people and the places and the things is going to inform them and determine how they're going to turn out. Look at Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 on the screen with me. Walk with the wise, become wise. A companion of fools, though, suffers harm. Walk with the wise, become wise. Any questions? Walk with the wise, become wise. It's like common sense, isn't it? Walk with wise people, you become wise. But if you hang around fools, you get hurt by it. So if we intentionally expose our kids to the right things, the right people, the right places, the odds go way up regarding who they will become. If you just let that happen and you take a passive approach to exposure, then you run a desperate risk of your kids running and hanging with the wrong people in the wrong places, the wrong things. So you have to be intentional about this. And we can't, obviously we can't force our kids to be followers of Jesus, but we can't expose them to the right influences that impact their lives to encourage them to walk with the wise so they'll become wise. Let me give you three points of exposure that I think are really critical. Here's the first one. Expose them this way. Expose them to the joy of knowing God personally. Knowing God personally. John 17, verse 3, now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. There it is. Knowing Jesus, a big deal. It's very important to know God personally through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. Kids today are not rejecting Jesus, I don't think so much, as they're rejecting religion and the hypocrisy, especially the inconsistency they see in their own homes. This is, this is what foamates rebellion in, in kids, produced where there are rules without relationship. Rules without a model of consistency or integrity will produce rebellion. So if the law is laid down and there's not corresponding love, then you've got trouble. There's lots of illustrations for this, but the best example that I like to use is this simple thought. That I think the best way, I put this at the top of my list, the best way to model the spirit of Jesus to your kids as a father is by authentically loving their mother. Always gets really quiet. As a father toward your children's mother, you're faithful and loyal and sacrificial and protecting and devoted, loving. And you model for your kids the spirit of Christ. So you let your kids catch you praying or, or catch you reading the Bible or catch you caring for a needy person in the community, or just helping someone when you, when you didn't have to. Let your kids look at that stuff and let, let them catch you behaving like Jesus. It's really, really important. <laughs> one, one, one guy said the best thing my dad ever, ever taught me to say was, don't tell your mom. <laughs> now listen, that's a, wise, that's a wise advice right there. 
I told Beth about this line I was going to use this week, and she said, that's a great line. You've got to put, make sure you say that in your sermon. I said, you like that line? I said, yeah. I said, you think I used it with our boys? And she said, well, did you? And I said, all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> and then I went through a list of things I used to do with the boys. Don't tell mom. Talk about getting in trouble. My wife was diagnosed with cancer when she was 35 years old. It was the same cancer that her mother had passed away with when her mother was 39 years old. Our boys were 12 and 5 at the time. Uh, Beth had surgery. The, the tumor they discovered, the cancer's tumor, was, was much bigger than you would want, uh, several centimeters in size. She also had four positive lymph nodes downstream from that tumor. That's when she was 35 years old. Uh, her prognosis was not great. And, you know, I asked her surgeon, oncologist, what, what I should expect. And the oncologist was very wise when he told me that we should go live our lives, live every day. He said, no one's promised tomorrow. And so you should live every day. And he gave me some statistics about, you know, three years from now, five years from now, that sort of thing. And so I had a choice to make as the husband, father, of that family in those days. I could choose to get angry or resentful or turn my back on God, all of which I did for a while. By the way, God can handle your anger, your resentment. I'm not going to believe in you anymore. He can handle all that stuff. He's not intimidated by your doubt or your pain. But I finally came to the conclusion that running from God just isn't going to work. And so I made a choice. I chose not only for myself and my marriage, but for my boys. I chose to lean into God. And so the boys and I went through that journey together with all of the pain of it. We decided to fix our eyes on Jesus. And it gave us an opportunity to become more trusting, more faithful, more resilient, more hopeful, more committed, more enduring. Here's my point simply that, dads, if you want your kids to see a father in God, the God you want them to serve, then they should, you should let them see God in your fatherhood. And you'll have to model that. You'll have to do that intentionally. You won't be perfect at it. You'll fail a lot. It won't always go well. You'll wonder if it's worth it. But if you intend to live a godly model in front of your children, God, the grace of God will come along and assist you in that. He will help you, and it will matter. It will matter a lot. So it's the joy of knowing God personally through the model that you can present. Here's the second exposure. I just have three, three exposure points. The second is expose them to the presence and power of God in his church. I want you to stop and think just for a moment. Some of you are brand new to the church. Maybe this is the first time you've ever been here. Union Chapel is a, is a unique church in the history of Muncie, Delaware County. There has never been a church like Union Chapel in the history of the city. Uh, and, and by that I mean in terms of size and scope and, and impact. It's, it's an amazing thing that God has done in and through the life of our church. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And what I want you to do is to stop and think, Beth and I have to wrestle with this uh, this Sunday, we're celebrating th the end of 42 years of serving this church. This is our anniversary, 42 years today. 
So starting tomorrow at Serve, we're starting our 43rd year. Is anyone tired? Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm the only one. And that, that made me completely lose my train of thought. I have no idea what I was talking about now. Let me just, let me just pause and, and grieve just for a second, and then I'll be back with you. <laughs> the point is that we can easily take for granted what God is doing. And Beth and I have been guilty of this too. You know, for 40 years now, we've seen the blessing of God and the favor of God. It's, it's amazing. Lives transformed by the power and work of the Holy Spirit. It's just been amazing. We've had, we've had over 70,000 different people attend our church over the course of these years. That's amazing. And what great opportunity it is for you, especially in families and with your kids. Um, amazing programs and amazing opportunities to learn and grow and, and become become more like Christ. And, and I don't want us to be casual about this. We should, we should not take it for granted. We should be very thankful and respond, respond accordingly. So there's a question, Dad, that I, I think should never be asked by your children at home. should never hear your children ask this question. The question is, Dad, are we going to church this week? I mean, you should never hear the question. It's like, Dad, are we going to eat today? Dad, are we going to breathe air today? See, going to church isn't something we do. It's who we are. We are the church. We're committed in covenant relationship with people God has called us to go alongside of, to share life with, and it's not an option for us. If we're in town, then we're in God's house. That's what we do. That's who we are. If we're out of town, then we stream it online. Our church family is our fuel. It's our anchor. It's where we learn the will and ways of God. It's where we hear from God and learn about God and we enjoy our dearest friends. I mean, think about it. Going to, going to school isn't optional. Paying your mortgage isn't optional. In some cases in our crazy upside-down world, now soccer practice isn't optional. Here's a challenge for you if you're a parent. The next time you have something that's going to displace bringing your children to church, I want, I want you to do this. Go to a mirror in your room, in your house, look yourself in the face, and then look yourself right in the eyes and say these words. God, we're not going to church this week to learn the eternal truths of your word because we have a soccer practice. We have a dance recital or whatever. So we're going we're gonna to lay aside the importance of understanding your will and ways and instilling that in our children because we've got soccer. In Psalm 112, it says, people who fear the Lord and obey his commands, their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of God's people will be blessed. Their children, in Psalm 112, it's not just your children or my children. It's all of our children in the, in the people of faith. When we all get together and do this together in covenant community in the body of Christ, that's what makes a difference. That's why when we bring small children and their, and their parents and guardians up here to dedicate them from time to time, we ask them the question, will you be careful to teach these children the importance of prayer and the study of the scripture and both the private and public worship of God? Will you help them to 
to take root in the life of the church, the community of faith, not because it's something else that we do to check off on our calendar, because it's who we are and who God has made us to be. This is our life. This is our meaning. This is our destiny. This is our purpose. This is who we are. We believe that what we do here has eternal benefits, that the things we do here and the here and now reverberate all the way through eternity. This stuff matters. It's a big deal. Maybe I could say it another way. Don't rob the church of the special blessing, which is your presence. Americans are really good at asking the question, does it benefit me? But we're not as good at asking the question, what I do benefit others? Or you can take the other posture, which many people do. You can just stay at home, convince yourself your presence is of no value. Your life experiences have no relevance to others. Pretend you're a Christian family. Quotes around Christian family, and your kids will figure it out without exposure to the presence and power of God in the church. And if that's your posture, then let me just say to you, good luck. Good luck to you. You're going to need it in today's culture. Churchgoers in the United States right now, do you regularly go to church? Yes, I do. If you're in that category in America right now, you go to church, this is the science, here's the facts, 1.8 times a month. That's the number. Are you regular to church? Yes. means you go to church 1.8 times per month. How about this? Rather than that well-rounded, well-educated, happy kid, how about you go for a Christ-centered, biblically-anchored, world-changer kid? How about that? Because let me just remind you, success is not defined by the number of Instagram followers you have or how many kills you manage on Fortnite. Today's Christian family, quote, you know, we're born in the United States. We're Christian. I mean, we're not Muslim. We're from America. We're Christian. We come to church maybe once or twice a month. If we come two weeks in a row, we feel like we're super committed. I came two weeks in a row. I took my family to church two weeks in a row. And I'm expecting a notification from the Vatican that I've been, a, you know, for sainthood. Amazing. Listen, there's a huge difference between being a Christian family and a Christ-centered family. Huge difference. Christ-centered families invested in the life of the church. This is our family. This is our fuel. This is where we experience the presence and power of God. This is where we love authentically and serve passionately and give generously. This is where there's life and meaning and purpose, fulfillment, destiny. We're convinced it has eternal value. This is who we are. This is not just what we do. This is how we live. We were very open-minded with our boys when we were raising them with regard to their participation in church. You know, there's a preacher kid syndrome. All of us are, if you grew up in a church, you know, preacher kid syndrome is a real thing. Preacher's kids tend to be, you know, a little ornery or rebellious. And when they get older, you know, they sometimes walk away from the church altogether because they've had, they've lived in this glass bubble and double standards and all that stuff. And we worked really hard to protect our boys from that. And I think we did okay with it. It's not possible to do all of it. But one of the things I was open-minded with these guys about was I didn't insist that they had to be part of everything every time. And so they had, they had some breathing room, and they could, they could negotiate their way. And when Isaac, uh, our youngest son, turned 18, and he was just approaching his senior year of high school, 
he came to me with a list. He'd thought this out, and, he said, and, and the list was to convince me that he doesn't need to participate in the youth program his senior year. He's just too busy. He's got too many activities, too many demands. He's got academic goals, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was a convincing list. And he, he, he assured me that his faith was secure, that I love Jesus. I'm a, I'm a Christian man. That's who I am in the world. And I'll serve Jesus for my whole life. But this season of my life, if you could just give me permission not to be part of the youth program my senior year, I think that would help me. Well, you know, I took that to Beth. We had to talk about this a little bit. We, we s- sincerely considered it. At the conclusion of that season, and it was a very interesting conversation we had, I concluded, and this was my challenge to Isaac for him to decide. You can decide what you're going to do. I said, you can, you can skip participating in the youth program if you want, but let me remind you who you are and why you're here. You are in the world as a Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changer. You will never be a senior in high school as a Christian man ever again. You will never have the benefits and opportunities of our particular youth program, 180, ever again. And if you are going to be Christ-centered and biblically-anchored and a person that God can use to change the world... What is the best stewardship of your life at the senior year of high school? And does it include not just participating in 180, but being a primary leader in 180? The conclusion was, I have to be a leader. I have to be a leader in 180. I'm not just going to show up. I'm going to be the leader. I'm going to be the influencer. And so two weeks later, I propped him up and one of the girls in the senior class who was in our church at the time, and I made them both give a speech to the whole congregation, especially to other teenagers, that this is a great opportunity. This is our destiny. We want to change people's lives and our cronies and our peers. For Jesus' sake, we're going to do it through 180 this year. It's a huge difference between a Christian family and a Christ-centered family. What happens to our world if we have a bunch of Christ-centered kids, biblically anchored, and see themselves in the world as influencers to change the world for Jesus' sake? Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound right? Doesn't that sound noble? Sounds like Psalm 112. Amazing. Here's the last thing I want to offer to you. Expose them to the thrill of being used by God. The thrill of it. Look at Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. It says, serve the Lord alone. In other words, centrally, primarily. Serve the Lord. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose. And there's that opportunity to choose again. Choose today whom you will serve. This is Joshua speaking to the whole nation. And he said, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. So dads, listen to me. You've got to choose. You have to choose. And I pray you'll make this choice for yourself and for your family. And you may push back and say, look, I, I don't even know what I'm doing in my own faith. I, I'm confused most of the time about that. You know, I'm, I'm new to this, or you don't know what I've done, or you don't know how, how bad a guy I am. Listen, here's what I know for sure. God's grace will meet you right where you are. If you say to God, Lord, here I am, I know it hasn't been good so far, but I, but I want to I serve you and I want to make a difference in my family. As for me and my house, my family, we're going to start serving God from this point on. 
God's grace will meet you right where you are. He'll give you the healing you need, the wisdom you need, the confidence you need, and the grace you need to lead well. And let me just say, it's in you. It's in you to do it. You've got it. You have no idea how much power you have available to you if you just intentionally give your life to Christ and offer the best leadership that you can for your family. We want to raise Christ-centered, biblically anchored, world changer. So you got to lead to it, Dad. Can't wait for it. Can't hope for it. You don't just pray for it. Why well, I hope, sure pray that God would help me. No, no. Prayer's not going to help you. You got to do it. Prayer's, prayer's just going to be the assist. You got to choose. You have to lead to it. You have to go there. You have to turn your life in that direction and start stepping in that direction. That's what it takes. Christ-centered family. That's who you are, not just what you do. Praise God. Now, you can do it. You can do it. Some of you are wise enough to get your kids in serve. You know, Pastor Jeff just said there are 427 kids and youth are going to be all over town all week. Let me tell you what's going to happen one week from today. Those of you who have children and kids, youth, participating in serve, let me tell you what's going to happen. They're, they may be Christ-centered today, but they're going to be more Christ-centered then. They may be biblically anchored today. Maybe you've done a great job. They're going to be more biblically anchored, anchored a week from today. And you may, you may say, you know, my kids, you know, they're out there. They share their faith, and they're trying to give a good Christian witness. Prom- promise you something. They'll be bigger world changers a week from today than they are right now because the opportunity to be immersed in a culture that's Christ-centered, biblically anchored, and desires to change the world. And we shouldn't take that for granted. We should say, thank God for an opportunity like this to be everything God wants us to be. Did you get it? Say, I got it. Did you get it? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for this important perspective And I pray for the grace that each of us needs in whatever category of life we find ourselves that we might be part of exposing the next generation to knowing God personally and to expose them to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit through the life of the church and to expose them to the thrill of being used by God in the world. So God, in all of these ways, we pray that you would extend your grace, your favor, your, your strength, your courage, your faith, your hope, your endurance to each one of us at the point of our need today so that someday and one day we might celebrate a moment like this when we said, I made a decision, I made a choice. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. So Lord, hear our prayer in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Would you stand with us?